0: Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One.
1: The big game is around the corner and the teams are just about set. So check out The Rich Eisen Show on Podcast One Sportsnet as the legendary sportscaster analyzes the plays and predicts what will happen on February 3rd. Download The Rich Eisen Show every weekday on Podcast One Sportsnet or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Daniel, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. This felt like a great time to revisit the NBA tiers and bring on Matt Moore, who has been my tiers guest for this season, trying something different, mostly because the two of us just really enjoy doing this podcast together. And we have the biggest differences of opinion this time around, which is interesting now that we're you know more than halfway through the season. We're seeing things a little bit differently than each other. And Lots of great stuff here. It's brought to you by a new sponsor, Peter Millar. You can go to petermillar.com Millar, for free shipping and a free hat. BetOnline.ag can use the promo Big Game for an awesome promotion that you can hear about during the show. And TrueCar, great place to buy new and used cars and sell or trade in your car. This episode runs about an hour 20. I'm really happy with it. A lot of a lot of fun material here. I, I, substance on the Warriors, on the top of both conferences, and then, you know, getting into the playoff pictures in each of them, and how the the playoff picture in the East and West are different in terms of team quality, which I really enjoyed as well. Hope you like it, too. Thanks so much for coming on.
0: Hey, thanks for having me, man. I love coming on this pod with you.
1: Yeah, I, I, I've enjoyed the exercise of doing these with the same person, because it especially because we've used the same rubric every time because we get in, can kind of get into what's changed and what hasn't and don't have to deal as much with the, you know, that we all have different opinions, and that's part of what makes this fun. But it also, I, I think that it's been good for calibration. And on the theme of kind of continuation, I think the place to start is the question that I believe each of the last two podcasts has started with, which is, are the Golden State Warriors in a tier by themselves?
0: They are, of course, in a tier by themselves. They just laid down uh fifty one point quarter versus the nuggets, and then turned around and set a record uh beating the pelicans while Curry went absolutely ballistic on a back to back. Like you know, I'm writing about this over to action. I want to get your thoughts as somebody that's been closer to the team. Um I don't necessarily believe that they're sending a message. I don't believe that's how they operate. I don't think they care enough about the regular season ever at any point. Like the only exceptions are when they have an emotional investment against the team. Like when they were beating the Clippers when it was Blake and CP3 um, a couple of years ago, like they, they were personally invested in embarrassing that team. That was evident. Um, the first games back in versus OKC and Durant's first season in Golden State, that 2017 season, they were personally invested in embarrassing Russ. But since then, like, my opinion has been, and I, I hold this, I was, I got into some fierce debates of the other night with Nuggets writers because they were like, look at how they played. They clearly were locked in. And I was like, I get why you say that. Except that I think if they came out, and they just, like, the shots weren't falling, and it was like, oh, this is going to be hard. They just would have settled in and had, like, a normal game. They probably would have won because they're better, but they wouldn't have, like, laid the beat down. They get up, I think, when they play the first couple minutes of a game, and they realize, like, oh, it's working tonight. Like, we've got it. We've got it tonight. And when they do that, then they're like, all right, let's go out and embarrass this team. And they still enjoy, I think, embarrassing teams, uh, especially good teams. But they also do this versus bad teams. I think it's one of the reasons they run up the score so much on bad teams. Like, I compare the, the Warriors a lot to the Spurs in that, like, the Spurs, when they were really great, They wouldn't absolutely annihilate like the uh, you know this year's Bulls if they played them. They wouldn't annihilate that team by like forty because the Spurs would be like, "What's the point? Like, what's you know what? What does this really prove? What what does this actually say? Why do we need to invest ourselves in this? Like, we know we're better than them, but." The Warriors, like, if they get the Bulls, they're like, hey, let's see if we can put up 200 on them. Like, that's how they operate. And I think a lot of it just depends on if they have it on a given night. Or do you think that they actually are like, let's let everybody know that we're still in charge, even though everybody's like, the Warriors are clearly still in charge?
1: You're basically right. The the calibrator for the Warriors on if they care specifically about an opponent is when and if they engage on defense in the first quarter. If they care about an opponent beating them, there are a few of those, you know, you brought up the the those thunder teams are certainly one of them. The Clippers in the CP3 Blake here is actually probably the best example. Those games there they start hot. They start ready to defend, they start there. And and you know, maybe it's maybe it's going to turn in different circumstances and all that. But outside of those circum those games, you don't really see it that often. And I did not see that in the Nuggets game particularly and offensively they're generally going to do their stuff early and then as you said if it works well then they'll they'll keep it going and if it doesn't then maybe they'll they'll flatten out a little bit or do something like that but yeah it is it is really offensively they're just going to do what they're going to do i don't think they're they're necessarily really gears to it maybe they'll have a specific point of emphasis or something like that but especially because the Warriors, another another thing with that, with their offensive, whether it succeeds or it fails, one is just, you know, it's a make or miss league. But then the other part is their turnovers aren't necessarily caught. I, I use the terms forced and unforced actually going to a tennis parallel. And the Warriors do a lot of unforced turnovers. And so I think that's just kind of if they're being active, if the lanes are there and all that kind of stuff. And another reason why their offense can sometimes sing against bad teams is like, let's say for Chicago, who they've annihilated twice. Chicago doesn't really do much in those passing lanes. So they're not going to make those, the Warriors aren't going to make those bad turnovers as often. And because the Bulls offense sucks, they could, the Warriors will get out and transition more and they're a remarkable transition team.
0: Yeah, I think like if you, I actually based off of your recommendation, I just went and looked up their first quarter defensive ratings throughout the season. And so like the, their best defensive rating in the first quarter was actually versus Denver and their loss earlier in the season. But that was a slog. Like, oh yeah, uh, that
1: game was gross.
0: Gross. Eighty. Like the Warriors had an eighty six point two offensive rating in that first quarter. Like they, like both teams well, were just I, throwing rocks. And, rocks and if each you remember, other.
1: I believe that was the first time those teams had played in Denver since Denver set that three point record. And so it was kind uh-huh. of the idea of like, oh look, it's this. You know, Denver's offense against the Warriors and then that first quarter was just like one of the most rock fighty quarters I've ever seen from teams that are actually good on offense obviously I've seen far worse from teams that are bad on offense
0: yeah and like well and it's telling too right in that like, both teams at that point were actually struggling shooting. Like, I remember Golden State, it was like, God, we just can't hit shots right now. And, like, they were frustrated. And then they went to Phoenix, and that made everything better. And they were fine after that. And Denver was the same way. Denver, for the first month of the season, couldn't really shoot. And so that that made sense. But then after that, it's Chicago, Atlanta. Okay, terrible offenses, can't compete. All right. But then you get into the next stretch is an 81.5 defensive rating versus Milwaukee in their, uh, I think, in the rematch uh, was the, It's the one that they won. The Warriors won. They held them to 81.5. Uh, OKC, they held them to 85.2. Minnesota, a team that has historically given them some trouble, they held them to 85.7. Memphis, a team that they know is going to defend well and also can't score, 88. And then OKC in the loss was 88.5. So you see this trend of like there are these teams that they are familiar with, that they know what to expect from, that are also like worse on the offensive side, right? Like teams that tend to be outside of the Bucs, teams that are tough teams, that the Warriors know, like, look, if we go in and we lock down, they can't win this game. And so that's kind of telling there. So, um, yeah, I, I just didn't think that they really – that they're, I don't think that they're sending a message. I think that they're just able – they're on such an offensive groove right now that they're able to go out and just be like – you know, let's see what we can do. And it gives them a little bit of energy and, and in a time when it's very hard for them, I think, to care. It's just still very hard for them to care at all about any of these games because they know none of them matter. Like, none of them matter. And that's the best reason I think why they should be number one. Like all the teams below them, and the tier that I have them in below, they need to win significant games versus challengers. Like, Milwaukee's in the second tier. Milwaukee needs to beat Boston. They need to beat Toronto. They need to beat Indiana. They need to beat Philly. Like, those games matter to them. The Thunder, like, the Thunder are 0-2 versus the Nuggets. That's a huge problem. They have have real big issues with Denver. Um, Denver, likewise, Denver needs to win those games versus OKC. They need to win the games versus Houston, which they can't. They have games that they, they, all those teams have games that they need to prove like we can do this they need to have confidence builders no game matters to the warriors and they can still win them all anyway
1: And we're recording this a day before we see DeMarcus Cousins debut. I think the Warriors are in tier one, even if DeMarcus Cousins does nothing for them the entire year. If he ends up being a positive, then this goes into a whole nother level. And it's kind of hard to speculate on what that's going to be. I I was a part of a roundtable and talked about how Cousins is the best offensive big man that Stephen Curry has ever played with by such an an insane degree. I mean, the best offensive big man, not counting Durant, even though he's seven feet tall because he doesn't play like a big, is probably David Lee. DeMarcus Cousins, even if he's recovering from uh, from an Achilles, is so much better than David Lee ever was offensively that there are, there is a possibility. I mean, there's also plenty of downside, especially on the defensive end. But, you know, maybe they're just, I mean, they already have number one in offensive rating. Maybe they're just flat out unguardable.
0: Yeah, so this is where it gets into. I have trouble with this because I see this a lot, which is like they're this good and just think they're going to add this or imagine when this happens. Yeah, or imagine when the, and I'm like that's just not how it works. Like, right.
1: Some pull I, some know, of the parts, all that kind of stuff.
0: So I, I haven't, I've never written about it. It's one of my my regrets. I got to go back and find it. A couple of years ago, uh, I think it was it was 1617. It was KD's first year there. I went to Nuggets. I went to the shoot around versus versus Denver, and I asked Kerr and Curry and KD the same question in scrums. I asked, can you play a perfect game? And they all had really thoughtful, really interesting answers on it. Um, KD said no. KD's like... No, I don't think he can, because I think in KD's mind it's 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 very results oriented. I think Kerr and Curry um, had the same kind of approach on it, which is yes, but it doesn't necessarily get reflected in the results. And I think that that first quarter of the night it was really telling to me that Kerr that that afterwards Kerr said that's the best I've ever seen, that that was the best performance I've ever seen. Like Kerr is so reticent to ever be like, okay, yes, this is absolutely the best, like. Obviously Curry's the best shooter. That's undeniable. But Kerr is always like, I've seen so much goodness, greatness from them, and it's hard to parse. And these things are contextual. And after that, he was like asked about that fourth quarter. He's like, it wasn't just the shooting. It was like the way we were moving the ball and the energy we played with and how sharp everything was. The energy that we gave in that first quarter because it was like this nexus of everything that Kerr wants and what the Warriors are. Like I think Kerr Kerr, Kerr carries or carries way less about the shooting performance, because he's a coach. He doesn't care. Like, shots go in or they don't, and coaches know that. But it was this symmetry between their unreal shooting as KD's just knocking down everything contested, and Clay's hot, and Curry's hitting everything, and then the passing and the motion and the movement, everything coming together. That's about, I think, as close as, as you can get. And so with Cousins, um, this is the thing I've been thinking. is like, oh, man, what if Cousins is good? It's like, oh, they'll beat teams by more? Like, how much better are you really going to get? I mean, could they have a game... Where they finish with, I guess, I don't, I wish we had an actual way to search this on NBA.com to get their ratings. Um, there may be a mechanism on basketball re- reference, but I would actually like to know what the highest recorded offensive rating for a single game in history is. I would imagine it's somewhere north of 130, right? Like 140 ish sounds about right. Like if you're scoring 1.4 points per possession for a game, that's absurd. Um, could they get to 160? Maybe. Like maybe they could get to like a 160 rate. I just don't think that you're ever going to have a stretch where you can play at a at an above 160 rate to approach uh, to approach 200. Like that's there's a prop right now. Um, I work at Action Network. I just got this information. Caesars is offering a prop right now on will the Warriors score uh, 100 and is it what's the number? It's, I think it's 150. So the question is, like, what about 200? Like, what would you put odds at that the Warriors could score 200 in a game? And the, the odds have to not be insane because of how good they are, but they still have to be a little insane because I just don't think that that's possible. So, like... Cousins to me is the same thing as KD was, just on, on another scale and a lesser scale. It just increases their margin for error. Like, oh no, Clay and Curry just could not hit anything tonight. It's 150, and by the way, the odds are even, um, minus 110, minus 110 on yes and no for 100, to score 150. I would take the, I would take the yes on that. Um, but like, I think Cousins is, is simply going to increase their margin for error. Curry and Clay are off, up, oh, doesn't matter. You know, KD had 25 and DeMarcus had 20. That's all you need. Um, I'm actually doing some film work on this for a piece we're running on action and just like – I'm actually trying to imagine it, right? Because a lot of what they're doing now is they're getting loony the ball when they focus in so much on Curry or KD if they they trap, hedge, or double. They're getting loony like rushing towards the basket to use his athleticism. Is Cousins going to be able to do that? I guess the question then is, all right, will they just give him the ball and let him post up and obliterate guys and then force the double and they have to leave a shooter open? That's kind of the question is like, I think everybody's still going to continue to play them straight up. Like if Cousins is murdering you in the post, you're like, well, at least it's not Curry shooting threes. And it just makes them a more impossible to guard. But I think that there is a ceiling on how good they can be, not from a, a level of how good they are, just from how good basketball can conceptually be in the NBA.
1: So I have an answer for you. Um, the highest so Basketball Reference has it since eighty three eighty four. So I mean there there could absolutely, especially considering the, there are some some teams in the eighties and seventies that could have done it, and also just the wealth of games that occurred before that. But in the last since eighty three eighty four, the highest offensive rating in a game is one sixty two point eight. Was the Clippers over the Toronto Raptors a very a, a game that like I hadn't even like ever really thought about? What and the Clippers were sixty one of eighty eight from the field nine of 22 from three and they only turned the ball over eight times now that's a really high number but i think the warriors can get past it
0: yeah so like let's put the i guess let's let's go ahead and reevaluate and let's put the cap at like 180 right let's put the cap at like 180
1: 1. yeah. 1.8 well so so as a session. point of reference that warriors denver game that was the highest offensive rating in almost 10 years and that was 147 four for the full game right. and remember their starters right. only played three quarters
0: yeah i tried to i i really i tried to, to hammer that point when talking to folks in Denver was, um, cause there was, <laughs> there was one young pup who I, who I, I really like and is a good writer. Um, but <laughs> he works hard, but he was like, I'm actually kind of encouraged. Like they're hanging, like they're only down 12. Um, and I was like, yeah, but this is with regular season rotation minutes, like in a playoff game, this is the, you know, Curry and KD are playing 20 to 24 minutes here. Um, or at least, you know, 18 of 24 minutes here. And as opposed to however much they played in that first half, like when you just take out the bench for golden state, that's one of the things is the golden state. I mean, look, the strength, the strength and numbers thing used to be really real In, in 15 and in 16, they really were a team that it was like, man, their starters are amazing, but that bench is really good. Like they had, you know, Barbosa, um, And they had, you know, and obviously Igadala and like Livingston, who had a phenomenal game versus Denver. Um, but now you're just, you look at the drop off and you're like, oof, Quinn Cook, oof, okay, you know, Jones before he got hurt. Like they, they are, they're, they're, their bench is simply not good. It just doesn't need to be anymore because their starters are so incomprehensibly good and they have so many now that they can stagger. And that's the other thing with, with cousins, right? Is, you know, going down the stretch, you could play, you could play Steph 20, 20 minutes over the last 20 games and he's still going to get his points because he'll be so fresh. He could just go in and light it up and you can stagger because your second units can be anchored around Clay Thompson and DeMarcus Cousins. And the team with Clay Thompson and DeMarcus Cousins in the Eastern Conference is a four seed. Like that's, it's, it's, it's it's embarrassing how good it is. It's unbelievable. It's incredible. And yeah, like this is a tears podcast, so we should move on because it's like, yes, clearly the Warriors are the number one team.
1: (laughs) The only other thing I'll mention, I've focused a lot on the Curry-Durant stagger this year, and what Cousins brings is an ability to do the, to keep those guys together and not yep. die a horrible death in the other minutes. And granted, those guys are so good together that you could survive that. I, like when I ran the numbers based on the absence that I'm going to write a piece on this, it actually was mathematically better to, to keep them together even with the sacrifice. Yep. Than, than what happened with the split. But Cousins fundamentally changes that math. And even if all they do is just score more, even if they're worse defensively, it could do that. Lots, lots more to talk about with Matt Moore, including basically the whole rest of the NBA. But first message from a new sponsor for Real Gym Radio, Peter Millar. And Peter Millar is a brand that I honestly was unfamiliar with before they came on. And then they were nice enough to send me some of their clothes and. Before even talking to them, I was really impressed with the quality of the garments. I got a variety of things, got a dress shirt, got a polo shirt, got some pants. And the first thing I thought when I put it on was this stuff is really well made. The color is actually was great. The fit, the comfort, those things are all really strong. And I have pretty specific tastes for clothing and was really impressed with that batch that I had. I had no input in. All I did was give them my sizes. I'm like, oh, this is all stuff that I really like. And then it wasn't a surprise when I talked with them about how they partner with the most skilled craftsmen and artisans in the world. And they're very detail oriented using great quality materials. And then the best practices that you can get in these as well. And that's how you create amazing quality material that also looks great. That is versatile. And versatility is something that I really like in clothing. So you can wear it in different settings and that it's comfortable and that it it's durable, and I've now been wearing my Peter Millar stuff for a few weeks now, and I'm consistently impressed with all of those things as well. So you should definitely check it out. The way you do that is you go to petermillar.com realgm. You can experience it for yourself. You get free shipping and a free hat if you go there through the link. And again, that is petermillar, M-I-L-L-A-R dot com realgm. And again, you get complimentary shipping and a free hat. I've been really impressed with their material. I wish I knew more about them earlier because it would it would have been a bigger part of my wardrobe throughout my twenties and of course now in my early thirties. And I think you'll really enjoy it as well. One more time, Peter Millar, M-I-L-L-A-R.com slash real G M. So moving on, I think that the 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 way that I differentiated the next group was on basically if they have a reasonable case to to win a championship or, you know, to be in that mix, or a plausible case. And so it's about kind of you could say it's about how much I trust them or just just the, the severity of their strengths and the severity of their weaknesses. And I'll be interested in your reaction. So I drew... I think that you and I will probably have pretty similar teams in these two tiers. It's just where we draw the line. So where I drew the line, my my tier two is just three teams. It's the Raptors, the Bucks, and the Celtics. Hmm. And then my tier three is a bunch. It's the Sixers, the Rockets, the Pacers, the Nuggets, the Thunder, the Jazz, and the Lakers. Not in any particular order. I mean, a little bit, you know, like I thought about it a little bit, but it's more like, okay, for me, the idea was the Raptors, Bucks, and Celtics have clearer cases to me. So the Raptors, I think that their playoff personnel, they have a lot of great, they have a really high defensive ceiling. They have a dominant Isolation scorer in Kawhi Leonard. I mean, I am concerned about Kyle Lowry in the playoffs and all that kind of stuff. The Bucks have been the best team in the league overall this year, and maybe maybe some of that can just continue. They also did house the Warriors at Oracle there were some absences in that game, but they still were awesome. And I mean, I I think that might be the best win of the year still for me. And then the Celtics, they were the hardest for me. I think they kind of defined the separation. And the reason why I had them up is because I'm a believer in their defense and Kyrie Irving is just insane. I mean, we saw that on Wednesday night when he just went off. And so... That's where I drew it. And then the other teams, they're all good. I think they, you know, if they, if they hit their stride, they could be really dangerous teams. They could at least, you know, they could take the Warriors to like six, maybe seven, but I wouldn't expect that to be the outcome.
0: Yeah. So I, I'm excited because I think in the be the first two pods that we did, we were, we were largely in line. And I think that we have some very big differentials. Um, now that we're into this point of the season, which I think is good and exciting. So my tier two is defined by, uh, teams that I think are serious, that should hold out a serious hope of reaching the NBA finals. Um, like that can vary. It's just not incomprehensible. I'm not willing to just be like, no, like this is not happening. Uh, the teams on the back end of this, I'm like, it's very unlikely but i'm still with you and there are some differentials
1: here um did you have the rockets in tier two i did not i have them at the top of tier three
0: okay but you had the sixers in tier three in tier two
1: i did not they're at the top they're in tier three no top my tier two is just three teams it's the that's right yeah okay. it's the Raptors, bucks and celtics basically everybody else who's good is in tier three
0: right um so my tier two if you're gonna talk about like um how Chance? is that, what, is that I,
1: did, I did reasonable as, as reasonable, reasonable right. and then plausible is the is the next one down so I have a much harder cut my
0: thing is I kind of I expanded reasonable I think there's a wider range of teams with a reasonable chance of the title uh, and then a and then I don't believe that any like there's nothing below that like everything else everything else is implausible but my, my my gap is higher so I have I have what I have six teams in reasonable chance okay this is despite how good how good golden state is and I can explain why Um, the list is the Thunder, the Bucks, the Celtics, the Nuggets, the Raptors, the Pacers. Those are the six teams that I look at and say, you know what? Like this team could really do it. They could, they could really do it. And so we've got, um, we've got your Celtics and the Raptors, uh, and the Bucks. All three of those teams are in this tier. Uh, and there's two West teams. With the Thunder and Nuggets, and then one more East team with the Pacers. I think it's fascinating that I've got six—I've got six teams in the reasonable chance to win a title, and four of them come from the Eastern Conference, which tells you like about the matchups and about, like, the path to get there, et cetera, et cetera, and how close those teams are. Um,
1: well, that gets into something I'll, br- I'll bring up quickly. There is a very good argument to be made that so far this season, four of the five best teams in the NBA are in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, that's wild. That's you, could absolutely- even, you could even make an argument that it's five out of six considering how well – how well some of these teams have played. And, I mean, the Pacers have been great overall this year. Like, you could go it, – it's really insane how how that split is. I mean, Denver has this strong record, and, and I think they're probably – I would say they've been the best West team outside of the Warriors so far. So you get into where they fit in with some of these teams. But it's the, – the top of the East is strong.
0: Yeah, and, like, even – so I have to be careful here because I live in Denver and I cover the team regularly because they're the local team. And I get a lot of accusations of being like a Nuggets fan. I get a lot of like, well, you're like the number one Jokic fan, which is hilarious because I was such a skeptic of him for so long. And I'm like, no, I'm just like, I'm here. So I'm writing about it. Um, I see very serious. I almost dipped the Nuggets into um, tier five. Um, No, not tier four, which I'll explain in a second. Yeah. Um, Based off of what happened to them. That's weird because tier three, I'll explain in a second. Um, But uh, I try and remember that this team still has the capacity. So here, here's what I think is interesting with Denver. I'll talk about Denver, then I'll talk about OKC. Um, Denver, I think, right now is at the same place that the Atlanta 2015 team and the, Pac- and the Pacers 2014 team were at. They had done all of this. They had beaten – like, here's, here's the thing. You said, like, they're the best team outside of the Warriors. They, the Warriors are a better team. But if we want to talk about resumes, despite Golden State doing that to Denver the other night – Denver has a better resume. Denver's beaten Golden State, they're one in one. Denver's beaten Milwaukee. Or I'm sorry, they haven't lost to beat Milwaukee, but they beat Toronto, they beat Boston, they beat the Lakers. They have they have a better win profile than the Warriors because, as we talked about, the Warriors don't care. Like, the Warriors don't have to have a good win profile. But you have to credit Denver for having done that. Um, Denver has the capacity, and we see it in little flashes, to get back to the defense that they played for the first two months of the season that fell off a cliff. If they find a way to get back to that point, that fundamentally changes things. The other thing is – and this is, like, real under the radar – For the first time this season in the last two days since the end of the Warriors game, Michael Malone has mentioned two significant names. He's mentioned actually on his own, unprompted, Isaiah Thomas and Michael Porter Jr. He has mentioned those two guys. And when you get a little bit better in Kieris, now those guys aren't going to make the defense better, but you're, they still like, they were without Gary Harris for that Warriors game, which wasn't going to make any difference. The Warriors were still going to pound them, but Klay Thompson got their offense going. And Gary Harris, despite his size differential does a really good job on Klay Thompson because he's had to play him so much. And he's just, ha- he's had that assignment so often. Harris has figured out ways to at least be like, okay, I know what he wants to get to. And it's just a matter of whether he can get there or not. Um, Denver, I think, still has the capacity to beat a lot of teams. They are vulnerable in certain key matchups in the West. Like, if they get Houston, it's over. Houston, who is not in this tier, mind you, can absolutely just roll over Denver in five games. 100% can roll over them because the matchup is a nightmare for them. Denver has a lot of matchups where it's just like, ooh, that's tough. But there are a lot of other matchups in the West where I'm like, no, they can get there. And then the question for Denver becomes not just like, all right, look, they played Golden State pretty well historically. They got whooped the other night, but I'm not going to overreact to that one game. The second thing is, I don't think Golden State will take them seriously enough. And so that gives Denver an opportunity to sneak in there and be like, oh, all right, they took two games, they won a coin flip third, and now you're in the same place as Houston, where I don't think Golden State took Houston seriously last year either, even up until game seven, and yet Houston could have won that series, and the Warriors would have just been like, I didn't think they could do it. So that's like a reasonable chance of doing it. OKC has to be included just because OKC is, is all in on, we're just going to slog this out. We're just going to make this hard. And the Warriors don't want to do that. They don't want to deal with how hard it is. They've had problems with Adams since 2016. Paul George is a, is a problem independently. Russ is like the biggest liability because he's likely to shoot you out of it. But Russ is showing signs this year being more differential or differential. So if they're able to, to get one shooter at the deadline, just one friggin' shooter. I think Thunder has a reasonable chain, chance. And then you have the Bucks, you have the Celtics, and you have the Raptors, all whom have, proved, have proven they can beat one another. Like even after last night, I think the, the Celtics have a slight edge versus Toronto, and they have a slight edge versus Milwaukee. We thought that coming into the season, that's slowly starting to take shape. But with how good Milwaukee and Toronto are, if you told me that they beat Boston, I wouldn't be shocked. And Indiana deserves to be in that conversation. Like they deserve to be there. They're good on both sides of the ball. They have the talent. They have the depth. They're a smart team. They belong in that conversation. So that rounds out my tier two.
1: Yeah, I mean, based on what they've done this season, it is completely fair to have the Pacers in that tier. I mean, they're they're third in cleaning the glasses net rating. Their defense has been fantastic. Remember that they also spend an ex- a extended period of time without their best player. So you know that's that's another consideration here is how representative is your sample. I mean, it's a very reasonable chance the Victor Oladipo will play more the rest of this a higher proportion the rest of the season than he did in what they've already done so far and they have a lot of depth so they can withstand i mean they turner just missed i think it was five games with that shoulder issue sabonis has missed some time then they have a bunch of different point guards so they can do that yeah the pacers are fascinating and i think it's it's so strange how their rep shifts based on last year's playoffs because it's weird, like, they gave Cleveland a better series than anyone else did, but they didn't make it out of the first round, and there is a very reasonable argument to make that Indiana should have won that series, like, that they that they, they easily could have, and there's an argument to make that they should have, because Cleveland just didn't really have it at that point, and they, they did get, Cleveland did get better, and they were so confident against the Raptors. So you go, okay, well, you take that from it, this is a largely similar team, though they, I think their bench is better overall, especially with those some of those guys getting empowered and everything else. And yeah, I, I, I think that, that they deserve it for me. It's just, I, I think I don't trust Odepo as much as I trust Kawhi and Kyrie in particular. And then Giannis is, is his own thing. But yeah, I mean, I have this, the Sixers and the Pacers to me is a, fa- it's not only a fascinating potential series, which I think is a pretty likely one just based on how this is shaking out. But, I mean, both of those teams are just enigmatic, fascinating, and, like, they have clear positives and negatives, and I don't think I have a good enough sense of how they play against each other to to really say, and anyway, you don't want to draw a team's place in the tier based on one theoretical opponent, because the Pacers have been better than being reduced to being the four or five seed.
0: Right. And I think part of my thing is uh, the Sixers' ceiling is higher, but I think their floor is way lower. I think their floor. I think the Sixers' floor is low. Oh, their floor is yeah.
1: their floor is crazy because they're they're a really talented defensive team, but they're not a consistent defensive team. And right. then their their offense is bananas like variants you know, because they yeah. they don't have a lot of shooters they, you know, you can, you can put a lot you can put a lot on their guys and then it's yeah, I mean, and, and their bench is inconsistent too, like they're one of those one of those weird teams that's like, you could just see, you could see their starters outperform another team by 15 in game you could see their bench do it, but you could see it go the other way too.
0: Yeah, which is why I give the Pacers the edge there, because the Pacers I feel like are a team that I'm, I'm like, no, I know what I'm getting, like they're going to play you tough, they're going to play you smart, they're not going to take enough threes, but they're going to be pretty, they, but they're going to be tough So is, um, it, is it
1: fair to say that the Pacers are just a better version of the trailblazers in that sense, where you, you know what you're getting but i just think the pacers defense is more consistent and better so that just moves them up it kind of moves them up a couple tiers
0: right and the con- and the conference thing is big here too right sure. like if if the pacers had to go through the western conference i would be like oh i don't know if you can beat all those matchups i don't know because yeah, they'd have re-
1: to win three series against good teams mm-hmm. you know that's right
0: right and then uh and and just the specific matchups in, in specific you know in particular i think are, are difficult um versus like you know if you put the Blazers i think the Blazers are probably in the Pacers spot in the east so that's that's a pretty good comp which is interesting because i had the Blazers way lower because i do know like i just don't think this team's going to be able to beat any of the good good west teams like i just don't buy that i don't think that that's capable i will say i think um i have a little bit more trust in Indiana as a great defensive team than i do as portland i'm not sure off the top of my head where portland's at in defensive ranking but they they're,
1: they're uh, not they're not great and and so Port- they're 16th right now and indiana's third so that's yeah. a pretty significant difference and there's also uh so I went into this on a 15 and 60 a little bit ago. Portland has had three years under Terry Stotts where they had really strong defensive ratings. Then every other year, they've been half or bottom half. You know, maybe they've been strong within the bottom half, but, you know, still in the bottom half. And they have a lot of variance in terms of opponent shot success. And I think a lot of that is because they so zealously defend the rim and concede mid-rangers. It's kind of like whether those mid-rangers go in or not. Is, right. is is a big part of, of what happens. And that's also part of why I don't like the Blazers as a playoff team, because the best teams have guys that can hit those shots. You know, like when you face the Warriors, if you're conceding mid-range shots, great, those are going to Kevin Durant, Stephen Curry, you know, those types of guys. They're going to hit those shots. And granted, losing to the Warriors in the second round, is, is no there's no shame in that. I mean, if that's where they've done that before, it might happen again, depending on where Portland ends up in the seeding. But, yeah, I think that that's a part of it as well. So I'm trying to think. I think the other point that we can discuss here that I think will be interesting is where – so so where are – so the teams that you had in Tier 2 that I did not the, – the the Nuggets were one. We already talked about them. The Pacers were one. And then who was the third? Was it was – it, no, it wasn't the Sixers for sure. Oh, it was the Thunder. Mm-hmm. So yeah. my issue with the Thunder – who are, I, I didn't really order my tier three, but they're later on in it. I think that most people would have it is Ooh. because I don't think they're a particularly hard team to defend. And hmm. they, you know, sure, you can make the point that this year they don't have Carmelo Anthony. So that that would be an advantage. Billy Donovan, you know, that this idea, and I've written about this before when back when Don Nelson coached the Warriors about how sometimes not being able to play a bad player is actually a huge positive for a team. But the problem with OKC is that they have a lot of low-usage guys that can't really scale. And that so basically what that means is that the consequences of leaving them to stop their primary options are not as severe. Yeah, Mm. there might be a a game when Terrence Ferguson goes off. There might be a game when Jeremy Grant goes off. And I like those guys as players. I would like them a lot more on different teams, incidentally, because they wouldn't be a hat on a hat. They would just be a hat. But I think that that fundamental limitation, for example, like their crunch time offense, I think is going to be rough overall you know there'll be games when Paul George can be a monster Stephen Adams is a wonderful player they're also a bad generally off the top of my head I think of them as a bad free throw shooting team which doesn't help so my theory with OKC is that their defense is amazing enough that they will win some blowouts and they'll play in a lot of close games but that against good teams they will lose a lot of those close games because the other teams just can they can get a good offense can beat great defense that's just the way it works when you have certain structures and that's part of the story of the modern NBA
0: I don't disagree. I think that's a fine analysis. I think part of my thing is um, I don't like to overreact to single season uh, performances and think that that's going to project all the way to the playoffs. I've seen a lot of times where it's like he never did this in the regular season and then he did it. Um, and so part of that is, look, the, the, the Thunder's floor, I think, is a potential 4-5 loss. That's like a, that to me is like a reasonable floor for them that they, they wind up in the four or five spot and they lose that in a coin flip versus a tough team. Um, Part of it is when Russ went wild in 2017 in all of those clutch games, which had a huge impact on his MVP vote, as much as everybody makes it about just the triple doubles, a lot of it was his clutch performances. Talking to voters, I could tell you that was a big part of it was they were like he won them games. He made huge shots. Those were big performances on top of monster statistical nights. Um And then this year, right, his shooting is just like is beyond horrendous. Like no matter how bad you think Russell Westbrook is, his shooting this year has been below that. No matter how bad you think it is, it's been worse than that. Um, And there's going to be a lot of thought that's just like, well, that's just who he is. And my thing is that's who Russ sometimes is. That's who Russ often is
1: it's a really good point with Russ, but the, I think one of the biggest problems is that even if he's a better jump shooter than this, the difference between that and like what Russ is, is not as significant a difference. You know, like if you well, leave, if you leave them open, if you leave them open and he takes those shots, cause he, he will take those shots, then I think you're going to live, you're going to live with those results. If you're a team with a really good offense. you know, yeah, there, there are teams that they can house and they can, they can crush and, Having a better bench, I think Nerlens Noel will actually make a pretty big difference for them in the playoffs, even if he doesn't play that many minutes. Just because they'll have another capable defensive piece, Schroeder will help in that element as well. Though I, this is something that I've been floating in my head the last little bit, and I'll, I'll throw down the podcast. I really don't like Schroeder's fit in their closing five, and you know presumably mm. if if Robertson's healthy enough, that can be him. Because the best thing that Dennis Schroeder can do is he can create offense. When they don't really have those other guys on the floor, when they have those other guys on the floor, he doesn't really do a whole heck of a lot. And so I I, right. I would rather go with a, a, a lower usage guy like Terrence Ferguson, who knows how to do that and who is a better defender, obviously, than Schroeder is. And I would trust more to hit catch and shoot threes, though I, I mm-hmm. haven't checked the numbers between those two guys. I believe Ferguson's doing better this year. So that maybe that i don't think that that's nearly as severe as the mellow thing where it's just like this guy can't play in the series or anything like that but it's another way that they might end up having a smaller advantage than maybe they could otherwise
0: the final point i would make about the lakers or about the thunder rather is uh their formula is not to play a normal game with you their formula is not to be like oh we're going to play like a normal you know modern era nba game and you know the offensive rating for good playoff teams is going to be in the 108 to 107 range and you know whoever can make more shots and we're going to think that we can we can get enough stops at the end. their thing is we're gonna make this a rock fight we're gonna ugly this up as much as possible it's gonna be an absolute slog it's gonna be painful it's gonna be ugly it's gonna be dispiriting and at the end we're gonna make more plays than you um if you believe that they can't, then it's fine to, to doubt them. Uh, and look, it's if you ask me, like, well, can they really do that versus the Warriors? And it's like, no, probably not. But if you uh, if you tell me like, is there a chance? Then yeah, which is why I included them in that tier. Uh, I want to go quickly to uh, my tier three. My yeah. tier three, my tier three, Danny is one team. It's one team. It's the Los Angeles Lakers.
1: The, the basically the who the hell knows kind of idea.
0: Uh, it's ba- it, I, I would label it as were it not for LeBron. That's it. Because if if you just tell me, if you just if you just say, look at this team, lo- say LeBron's great. What about the team? Then my answer is like this team's gonna get busted in the first round. They can't shoot. They can't they can't really defend versus high level opponents. They're easily schemable because of all their weaknesses. They're not dynamic they're not exceptionally well coached even if I think that Luke Walton is getting an unfair share of the blame um, they don't have guys that I trust to consistently produce in a playoff environment I don't love their chemistry I don't like uh, you know their their uh, the spirit that they play with all of these things are bad but if you told me that the Nuggets slide to four and the Lakers get to five when LeBron gets back, I'm probably picking the Lakers because I just don't know who's going to stop him on Denver. I just don't think anybody can. If you tell me that it's 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 the Thunder who I just went through all these reasons they're good that the Thunder wind up in the in a four or five or three six versus the Lakers, I don't know that they can beat LeBron. I don't know that Houston in a two, in a, in a two seven, three six, four five matchup versus LeBron. I don't know that they can beat him because that's how, that's how singularly impressive he is and how much better he makes absolutely everybody on the team. He just makes everybody that much better. The reason that they're in a tier on their own is because. The one – if you're like how – like who can really beat this team 100% and it's the Warriors. The Warriors are never losing to the Lakers. They are never, ever, ever losing to the Lakers. The Lakers can make – here's the difference between two and three. It's tier two and three. Tier two can make a Western Conference Finals or a Finals and they can beat the Warriors. I can conceivably see it. It's very unlikely. We're talking 5 to 10%, maybe 15% percent chance of this happening, which is still – Really low, like 15% seems high given how good Golden State is, but we extrapolate these things. Like an 85% chance Golden State wins, but versus the Lakers, I think it's 100%. I don't care what happened on Christmas. It is a 100% chance that the Lakers, that the Warriors beat the Lakers. I don't care who gets injured. Steph can get injured. They're still going to beat the Lakers. KD, DeMarcus Cousins, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, don't care. They will beat the Lakers. They have more offense, better defense. They are better on both sides of the ball. But the Lakers have LeBron. They can beat everybody else.
1: The Warriors also, due to necessity over the past couple years, have a bunch of different guys they can throw on LeBron James. Most other teams do not have that. And so they they were built to, you know, the Warriors, they weren't built to beat the Cavs, but it was was a design element of them to have those kind of guys. And the Lakers aren't the same team, but they still have the same focal point. Something that that just is is a great, I, I think this is a great stat to kind of go at your idea. This season, despite all of their flaws and and the way the season started, remember they couldn't defend anybody, the Lakers have a a plus 4.3 net rating when LeBron James is on the floor. That is exactly the same as the Utah Jazz, who have the third best net rating in the Western Conference. (laughs) So basically, and if you think LeBron basically plays all of every playoff game, and that the Lakers are better, I would say overall, they are better than they are in that sample, and they might get buyout guys, we don't know how that's going to go. There's a good argument, and the, the only team above that is Oklahoma City, and I've talked about my misgivings in the playoffs with them. So, yeah, I I actually – that's part of why my Tier 3 is so – the Lakers are a big reason why my Tier 3 is so big is that I didn't feel comfortable – putting any other west team in a separate tier from the lakers because i'm just sitting there going well yeah i mean i i the series i really don't want to see even though it'd be intellectually compelling is rockets lakers it just it just feels like it would it would just go in some weird directions though the rockets would actually i think end up defending the lakers well because something houston deserves a lot of credit for is that they are the best team in the west at realizing who's not going to kill them and just not defending those guys. It's part of how they defended the Warriors really well in that Western Conference Finals. The Lakers are an amazing team to do that strategy against because they have all these guys who can hit some shots but aren't going to beat you. And so they'll just like throw four guys in the lane and say, okay, LeBron, have fun with this. And yep. I, I, but I don't want to see that series because it would be gross. And it so, so
0: gross.
1: So, I, I, I'm, so gross. I'm kind of leaning into that series not happening. How whatever the bracket has to be, I will throw my body in front of that series. At least in the <laughs> first, at least in the first round. Second round, you know, if it happens, it happens. That's so be it. Still a lot to discuss with Matt Moore, but a message from our friends at BetOnline.ag. 2019 is starting off in a very big way, thanks to BetOnline.ag, the exclusive partner of Podcast One Sportsnet. If you didn't love your gifts for the holiday season, how does an all-expenses-paid ticket to the big game sound? Round-trip flight, hotel, VIP tailgate party, and tickets to the big game for you and a guest in Atlanta. You heard right, a a once-in-a-lifetime all-expenses trip to the NFL's biggest game of the year in Atlanta for two people is happening. How do you enter? Simple. You go to betonline.ag, sign up for a betonline.ag account, and use the promo code BIGGAME. Enter in the contest. Our exclusive partners at betonline.ag have the golden tickets, so don't miss out. This is a promotion that ends January 28th. Visit betonline.ag today for all the details and use that promo code BIGGAME. You also have a message from our friends at TrueCar. Every car comes with its share of stories, that ding in your bumper when you nervously picked up a first date, the luxury package you got after a big promotion, or the mileage you saved by riding your bike all summer. While you cannot put a price tag on your stories, now with TrueCar, you can at least find out what your car is worth when it's time to sell or trade it in. Just go to True Car, simply enter your license plate number and watch how your car's details pop up. Then answer a few questions. Navigation and Moonroof, watch as they bump up your value. High mileage? You already knew it was going to cost you, but now you know how much dings your wallets you can plan ahead. Once you're finished, you will get a true cash offer sent in minutes, which you can take to a local certified dealer to cash out or trade in. So when you are ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out TrueCar today true cash offer not available in all states what's your tier four okay so yeah well i'll run through my tier three briefly just to make sure everybody has it so it's basically all the teams that were that were in your tier two that weren't in mine plus the sixers the rock oh no the rockets were in the rockets actually i'll just do the whole thing sixers rockets pacers nuggets thunder jazz lakers so really for me that's every team that i think has even like an outside shot of winning a championship Mm,
0: that makes sense um so so
1: so then you get into
0: oh go ahead well, I, I, I want to transition to, to my four then. Yeah,
1: because they, they seem like they're at least partially in line.
0: Right. So do you have a drop-off then to the teams that you're like, they do not have a plausible chance? Yeah, but and they're I, like
1: the teams that I'll explain it, that they're good, but I don't think they can win a championship.
0: Right. These are like good. I don't, th- these are the teams that I think are good. They have no shot at winning a title. Rockets, Jazz, Sixers. This is, this is essentially a, it's a nice thought, but tier, um, and, like, I'm going to get freak so, out.
1: Wait, so am I correct that you don't have the—so then are the Sixers in your tier below that? No,
0: that's Rockets, Jazz, Sixers.
1: Oh, that's right. That's right. I yeah. I, I must have missed that in my brain.
0: Yeah, so it's Rockets, Jazz, Sixers. These are teams that are undeniably good. Like, those is a really good team. No, absolutely. Like, do you think they win a title? No, there's no way they win a title. I'm going to catch a lot of flack because of, of what Harden's doing. But this, to me, looks worse. It looks worse to me when it's like the only reason you're surviving is Harden's going for 50-plus every night. Like
1: Yeah, it, well, I mean, and because the best teams have more personnel to slow him down. I mean, granted, he had a crazy night against the Warriors in a game that they won in overtime. You know, like you you have all those things in place. But the big reason why I I don't have the Rockets in Tier 2, and that's a similar argument to what you're going to make here, is that think about how ridiculous their best case scenario has to be unless they get Mm -hmm. some amazing buyout guys. I mean, they have a lot of interesting depth guys, you know, like the Maury forward carousel. You know, maybe there are some guys there that are interesting after they, you know, let Ariza and Mbamute go. Mbamute has had this crazy lost season for the Clippers, and... So maybe they can, maybe the carousel can and get a couple new, get a couple new horses that end up working out well. But I mean, if Chris Paul, Chris Paul has to get to at least, I don't know, like 90% of what he was last year in order for me to take the Rockets really seriously as a title team. And that's, that chance is why I have them in the plausible, but I totally understand what you're getting at.
0: Well, it's just like, um, I mean, James Nunnally was on the floor for them to close that game last night versus the Nets, like the Daniel House. Is a huge loss for them with him going back to G League. Think about that, like, and think about the guys they've had to cycle through. And to, to Maury's credit, he does continue to cycle, right? Like, oh, okay, Michael Carter Williams didn't work. All right, get him out of here. Let's try something. You know, let's try Austin Rivers. Um, all right, Mello was a disaster. Right, he's just not going to play. Okay, Ennis hasn't worked out. Are right, we got Daniel House? Okay, all right, we can't agree on a deal with him. Uh, let's go to. Um, you know, let, let's 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 go to James. Not only like they just keep cycling through, and there's always the possibility that they'll pull something out. But I, Harden's going to get exhausted. He's going to be out of gas again by March. I've chronicled his MVP crusades in 2017 and 2018 and the trend and going back to 16 and 15 honestly the trend has been consistent he slows down in March and April because he's out of gas he's either hurt or he's out of gas it's extremely hard to keep this up for the entire season and this is in line with D'Antoni's entire approach who again I love Mike D'Antoni I love those Suns teams I love these Rockets teams phenomenal coach I think he's worthy of the hall of fame because of what he has done to revolutionize the game That said, the man too often is like, well, no, they're professionals. They can handle it. He never, ever stops to be like, I've got to have my best guys in their best condition at their best time. Like, he's too focused on trying to, like, on every single game. He's a little Tibbs in this manner, which is a crazy comparison to make, but it's true. Like, he winds up caring way too much about these games versus, like, last night. Just be like, all right. You know what? No matter what, if we lose, we lose. I'm keeping Harden on a leash here. I'm keeping Harden at 30 minutes. Like we should be able to be Brooklyn. If we can't be Brooklyn, we can't be Brooklyn. Like just take it. Just take that loss. Because well,
1: especially in this iteration of the team, they're going to have nights that it works and nights that it doesn't. Like that. Yep. It's 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 the Harden show. If if the threes are going in, if he's not getting foul calls, you know how however this shakes out, you're going to have those nights. And it, so I, I see you know it's not a parallel because I'm not drawing a similarity. I'm drawing a contrast between Dantony and Steve Kerr. So Steve Kerr as somebody you know this is kind of the parallel with you and the Nuggets. Like, I get a lot of Warriors fan stuff because I write about the team a lot because I live here and because they're the best team in the league. Kerr's flaws as a coach are very obvious because it's, you know, like playing Anderson Verichardt game seven to the finals, you know, his reliance on certain guys, the everybody has to play and the egalitarian stuff running all the way through not getting his best players the ball enough in key moments. That is a, it is a flaw. It is, it is for him, but for him, it is a feature, not a bug. That is why it is, you know, but The idea of why Kerr is a great coach is because he does so many other things well, instilling a culture, building this system that has allowed these guys to thrive so much more than Mark Jackson's did. And another big strength of Kerr's is understanding the long game because he has a team where he can And so they they, you know, they're not gonna push their guys too hard, even if they're really engaged, they're gonna, you know, Steph's gonna beat the table a little bit, you're gonna get into that circumstance because he understands that this doesn't matter compared to what's coming later. And the eighty you know, the seventy three and nine does affect that and that I think helped the players buy in. But Kerr was gonna do this no matter what. And Dantoni just he's not wired that way. He's wired to, I, you know, this is the game that is in front of me. And so he and Harden are a perfect pairing to get Harden MVP awards in the regular season, but they are not a perfect pairing to win a championship. Right. And, you know, I think that is a, it's much less tragic this season than it was last year when yeah. their team was so much better. And yeah. so like for this year, you know, if James Harden went into the year with the idea of like, Hey, I'm going to win the MVP unless they get Trevor Riesa on the buyout market. I'm pretty cool with that because they probably weren't going to win the title anyway
0: yeah um and i've got the jazz in that group look the jazz are schemable like i'm just it's it's nice that they beat a thunder team that never recovered from andre robertson last year and that ricky rubio happened to hit some jump shots that's cute great good for you um the jazz are an awesome defensive team they've got all these awesome metrics they've got an an easy schedule they're going to be a solid mid-tier playoff team they might be as high as three like their range to me is going to be three to six I'm just not scared of them. I don't know that any, what team should really be scared of Utah? What team, even OKC, should not be scared? of Utah even after last year. Like, okay, see if anything should be like, no, we're better this year. You can't you can't isolate Melo every time. Let's actually see if he can beat us, because we think our defense is better than yours. Um like Rudy Gobert is schemable. You 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 force the switch and then you ta- you attack him on the perimeter. Um you know Ricky Rubio is schemable. Make him beat you with jump shots. Like they are just extremely schemable and Donovan Mitchell is not as good. This team isn't as good as last year. they you can figure out a plan that over time will consistently like if you stay home on Joe Ingalls and you maintain space in the drop to to prevent Rudy Gobert alley-oops. The Jazz are just beatable. That doesn't mean that every team will. Like, they could make the they could make the conference finals. I think that's plausible. There's no way they're beating the Warriors. I don't think their odds of getting out of the first round are good. I don't think their odds of getting out of the second round are good. I think the Jazz are a really good team. They just they play in a really tough conference with a lot of teams that have personnel to exploit them. Denver's gonna, gonna rip them to shreds with movement and with Jokic's ability to, to beat mismatches and with their ability to catch guys sleeping. Um, you know, I think OKC is gonna have a better defensive plan this time around versus. Them, I think Houston will do the same thing they did to them last year. Um, I, I just think that there's like a lot more ways. Uh, there's it just doesn't seem plausible for for Utah to be able to make a serious run, even if they make the conference finals. Um, I don't think it'll be all that serious of a run it'll be. They beat teams that were better because Ricky Rubio had a hot streak or whatever. And then the Sixers, um, I don't like the matchups for the Sixers. My thing is, if I look at the round robin in the Eastern Conference between those top five teams, the Sixers are the ones that I go, ooh, I don't think they can beat Toronto. Ooh, I don't think they can beat Milwaukee. Ooh, Ooh, I don't think they can be Indiana. Ooh, I know they can't be Boston. Um, and Boston in particular, I just think is a huge impediment to them. Um, they're gonna, they, the Sixers' hope for making the finals has to be that Indiana, Milwaukee, or Toronto get matched up with Boston in a second round series and knocks them out. And then you know, MB goes Buck Wild versus the versus the Bucks, and the Bucks don't hit their threes. That's got to be the, the formula for how the Sixers make the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, and there's too many ifs there, I think, for them. So I don't take any of those teams all that seriously. I think Harwin, what Harden's doing is amazing. I think that uh, Rudy Gobert is having a great season, as always. Um, I love Donovan Mitchell. I wish he was a little bit more efficient. And I think the Sixers certainly are going to have some really good playoff wins in that, uh, within the series. But I don't know how, I don't think any of those teams are legitimate threats.
1: I like grouping the Jazz and the Sixers together because I think they have, at this current iteration of both teams, they have a similar flaw, which is that they don't have many counters. Both of those teams have a thing that they do well. They're both capable defensively. I mean, the Jazz do it a whole hell of a lot more than the Sixers do. But then offensively, they kind of have a thing. And then if that doesn't work, uh oh you know yeah. like that, that 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 that's the way it goes and I think a lot of it is not scheme based I think both both teams are reasonably well coached it's just that they have personnel shortcomings and that's a big part of why there are a series of teams, including the Pacers and the jazz that have the possibility but not the certainty of a lot of turnover this year and I want to see Utah turn over the most of those teams. Because I'm not as interested in what they are right now. You know, if you clear the decks, and even if they end up not getting great players, just getting something that's a little bit more vibrant, a little bit more dynamic, because Rubio, Mitchell, Ingles, Favors or Favors replacement, and Gobert, maybe Jay Crowder if we're going to throw that in there, that's a good team. I'm I'm, I'm never going to knock that. That's it's kind of like the Blazers though, where you're good, but they don't have enough. They don't have enough angles. They don't have enough counters to beat the best teams. Because when they when they face a, an upgraded talent level, when they face those teams that can really get up for it in terms of personnel and effort, there just isn't enough there to to really beat those teams. And so that's why I want to see Utah turn it over. You know, they need they need they need a wild card. Yes, right. They they, they, need, they need two. Need some... I, I actually think they need two. They need two in case one of them doesn't work. They need so, a little bit, they need like a Lou Williams type of guy, mm-hmm. and then they oh need, yeah, and then they need somebody like so Lou Williams type of guy off the bench, and then they need also like I would say kind of like a wild card starter, like that, the, or or a guy who at least has a higher ceiling. Like yeah, like,
0: I think Jay Crowder is kind of supposed to be that, but Jay Crowder is not wild enough to be that. Like you need no. a real, you need you need somebody to inject chaos into that team. That's what they really I think need is is someone to inject some real chaos because otherwise. Yeah it's just butter and toast. Um and butter and toast is reliable and butter and toast you know what you're getting and butter and toast is good because it's butter and toast but in the end it's not a meal. So um
1: Well, so what's interesting is I think now we're actually at a pretty similar line between those. So where I have... So the next tier, I originally was actually thinking about having the Blazers in their own tier because I think they're a lot better than these other teams. But at the same point, I was like, well, are they different in ways that matter? And I ended up just keeping them in. So this tier, I called it the best of the rest where they're teams that I do not think have a shot of winning a title, but I still think they're... They are or could be good basketball teams, and it's a bigger tier than I thought, partially because I just don't know really where to draw the line. So Portland is the top of this tier. You can make an argument that tier four should just be them, but then the other teams are the Pelicans, the Clippers, the Spurs, the Wolves, and the Heat. The Heat are the borderline for me. I'm fine putting them in the next tier down, but because they have a good defense and they're playing without Dragic now, I'm kind of thinking where they could be in, let's say, late February, early March. Maybe at that point, they're a little better. I don't mind that. Um, so mine
0: goes, obviously, if, if I say the Rockets, Jazz, and Sixers have no chance of a title, those are good teams. Uh, these are good teams that it's like, uh, have reasonable expectations. Like, just make the playoffs. Just, just make the playoffs, and anything after that is gravy. Like, I think the Rockets, Jazz, and Sixers should have a reasonable hope or expectation of we should win a first round series. Um, the these teams, I'm like, eh, just be happy you got there. And it's Blazers, Spurs, Clippers, Mavericks. That's one, two, three, four. That's the, my fifth tier is Blazers, Spurs, Clippers, Mavericks. Those are teams that like. And the Mavericks are, are four games under 500, but I really think that they have a chance to get to um to get to the playoffs still. I think Doncic is such an X factor for them that they could just get. I think they're maybe a move away. Um, if they could just get there. I think that they can really maybe start to uh, to get to where they need to go to if they can make maybe one deal to switch some stuff up, whether that's Gasol or whatever else. Um, I think that there's there's room there for the Mavericks to be pretty good. I have more faith in the Mavericks being could be pretty good than the Pelicans, which is shocking considering Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday and their success. But I'm really pretty far out on the Pelicans at this point, just based off of their win profile and performances. The Spurs, look, the Spurs are just kind of the Spurs again, and they're less Spursy than in years past. Because some of their performances are based off of, do they get a hot shooting night? They have some nights where, obviously, like the rest of the Thunder, they're just blistering, and they're so good. Um, And then there are nights when that's not there, and sometimes the defense is there, and sometimes it's not. But they'll hit consistently. The Clippers are the team that, like, really, like, yeah, no, they're not – they they had that nice start to the season and that's nice, but they're still just this team of like oh pretty good guys that would be better on serious contenders. If you broke up the Clippers and you scattered them throughout the league, a lot of teams in the playoff race get better. If you just randomly scattered the, the Clippers players throughout all of the other fifteen playoff contending teams in the league, you'd have serious you you'd have major upgrades across the board. They're all very good players. They just don't have anything special. Um and then uh the Blazers my thing with the Blazers is, um, I don't their ceiling to me feels real low. I just still don't have a lot of nights where it's like, you know, they had such a good game versus the, the Thunder the, uh, a couple weeks ago on, on one of the Friday night games. They hung with them. It was back and forth, big shots over and over and over again, and they still couldn't find a way to get it done. And that just feels like what the Blazers are to me is like, is like, oh, like they're really admirable, but they just can't get there. The Blazers are kind of the new Grizzlies in a lot of ways. They're just better offensively.
1: Well, there's a parallel between those two teams because they're I, I, the Blazers. To me, are the least intellectually interesting good team in the league because we know what they are. Nothing's really changing. There isn't there isn't a way. And like I mean, they had this thing of like, oh, they're they're staggering Damon. They're not staggering Damon CJ. They're playing those guys, and then they had this bench unit that was actually doing well. But it always looked like fool's gold. It was fool's gold because they were they were, basically opponents were missing every shot. And then once opponents stopped missing every shot, they're like, oh, this group isn't great. Then they eventually swapped out Stauskas because surprise, surprise, he wasn't that good. But so the end of this tier was really hard for me, and that's the Wolves in the Heat, like the Spurs. You know, I, I still don't know what they are, but at least you know they're they've, they've been one of the they've been one of the best offenses in the league since December first, which is inconceivable in many ways because of their shot profile. But they never turn the ball over. They have great guys at making the shots they take. But Minnesota, they're almost as hard to figure out because they had this disastrous start to the season, and they're four and nine chemistry stuff if you, the team that they have been since then even if you give them a, a step back because the sample size or whatever else that's still a pretty good team like that's they're competitive their personnel makes more sense together in many ways because they added some depth they added guys that can fill roles and now defensively they're they're competing also it looks like Carl Towns is more activated defensively which is great really excited about that And then, so, so like, can I say definitively that minutes, that any, like, the Clippers are better than the Wolves now and moving forward? No, absolutely, I can't say that. So that's why I have them in this tier.
0: Yeah, um, I'm, I'm down with that. Uh, my next tier is one, two, three, four, five, my sixth tier. Uh, and these are teams that are like, uh, inconsequentially decent
1: that's a good that's, that's a better description than mine except that i have the bottom of this team the, the last team in this i don't consider them decent but go ahead
0: uh mine includes the wolves because i'm just like sure great great derrick rose is shooting 40 percent from three this year that's nice good for you okay yeah oh andrew wiggins went off for 40 okay Neto. Oh, you know, like there are pieces of of Minnesota I really like. I love Tyus Jones, I love Carl Anthony Towns, I love Taj Gibson. Um there are pieces of the team I think are really good and and honestly could help other teams a lot more. Um but the general and I like the coaching since the change since the change, I've been happy with with Saunders, but like just generally speaking, I just don't know. It's like, okay, I just anything that's this that's this reliant on so many pieces where I'm like, no, that's not gonna sustain itself. I can't really believe in. Um the top team I actually have at this is the Nets. 15 and, and, 15 and 8 since December 1st, yep. uh, 15 and 5 since December 7th.
1: They're the top like, of my tier 5 too. They've been great. And, and I, I'll tell you this,
0: depending, like, look, if they get, if they get a team that isn't offensive really brilliant every night, like if they get the Bucks, that's gonna be fine, but it'll be quick. But, like, if they get Boston with Boston's inconsistency offensively where they just have nights where they just cannot score, like, Brooklyn's whole model of we do two things. We prevent you from shooting threes, and we shoot a lot of threes, and that's what we do. Like, that mathematical model is going to give some teams that have issues, especially, like, Indiana. Indiana better hope they don't end up with a 3-6 versus the Nets. That's a nightmare scenario for Indiana, which is, like, Indiana can play really well crap, the Nets are only down three because they just are outpacing you by like nine three-pointers in the first half. Um, like that's a, to me is a very serious danger. Um, it's the Nets, the Heat, who I just, I, whatever. Uh, the Kings who are like, oh, cool story, but whatever. Uh, the Wolves, the Pelicans, surprisingly, and the Hornets. I'm just not scared of any of those teams in any capacity. Like the, the team of the teams above them, the Blazers, the Spurs, the Clippers, the Mavericks. If you told them that any of them upset the Thunder or Nuggets or Rockets or Lakers, I wouldn't be like, holy crap. I would just be like, oh, man, that's a rough beat for those better teams. (laughs) Like, what a disappointing end of the year. But I'd be like, ah, good for those teams. Well coached, did their jobs. I get it. Um, The Nets, the Heats, the Kings, the Wolves, the Pelicans, the Hornets, if those teams upset the teams above them in that top half of the Eastern Conference, that's a disaster. Like that's a – like those top te- teams are – like that's a – someone's getting fired or traded. Like that is – oh, God, the apocalypse has happened for that team, and their fans are just horrified because um, those teams are not good. They're just not bad.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's certainly a, a, a fair distinction to draw. Mine is similar. I have the Mavericks down here. I'm fine with your logic. I just, I don't trust them as much as, as the other teams in this group. I mean, uh, maybe, and, and there's some recency bias. I mean, that game against the Spurs where it looked like they were so good early and then they just, just struggled late. You have those those kind of games. I So Dallas is another team like Utah where I would like to see them look really different next year. I just, yeah. I think when, with Dante, when Doncic is your foundation, you can go in a million different directions directions. directions and i mean i'm fascinated by the idea of them starting maxi kleba at center next year like you you throw basically throw all of your money into getting one more guy who can create shots and then just getting a bunch of forwards just whatever whatever they can do well just good players like that's one way one is also like granted they're probably not going to keep their pick this year but you know build up a young talent base maybe you know you try to acquire some assets you know you go in that direction there's just there's so much you can do with luca and because he doesn't have the specific flaws that Ben Simmons does, in it, while I don't think Luka is as good of a player right now as Ben Simmons is, he, A, he could absolutely be there in a year. Like, I'm not doubting that. I mean, I, I love both of those guys. But it, I think it's easier to build a team around Luka, at least offensively, because you don't have this, like, catas- cataclysmic flaw that you have to deal with when you pick every other player in your team. And so... I would love to see them treat this more as an open campus and they don't really have that many guys under contract so they can do that. So that, but that's kind of an aside, but it's, it's an interesting thing. You and I love talking about team building. So I I thought I'd bring it up.
0: Yeah, I think, I think for sure I'm, I'm with you on that. And then, um, Oh, Wait, God, so here. okay, oh. so
1: I'll go. I'll go through my group, and you can react to the diff there, there, are a couple of differences, but they they're not really that material. So Nets, Mavs, Grizzlies, Kings, mm-hmm. Hornets, and Pistons. You, t- you
0: have you have the Grizzlies and Pistons too high. That's that's what I was telling you. Well,
1: I mean, the, but with both of them, it's like, well, you know, they can beat the bad teams. They're going to lose against a lot of the good teams. Like, you know.
0: I... They can't though. That's the thing. The Pistons and Grizzlies can't beat those teams. That's why they're actually in my second to last <laughs> year are the Pistons, the Grizzlies and the Wizards. You know what those teams are? They're teams that I have lower because they're actually more inconsistent. So, they're better so, teams. so you
1: have the magic in the tier above the Pistons and the and the Wizards? I'm okay with that. I'm just interested.
0: Um yeah, I have the magic in the in the tier with like the Nets, the Heat, the Kings, the Wolves, the Pelicans, and the Horns. I'm left out the magic that that's that's who I've got. Um The Pistons and Grizzlies and the Wizards are teams that Like, they will lose to teams definably worse than them. Like, teams that they should have no business losing to. And then we'll turn around and, like, the Pistons beat the Clippers on a game where they absolutely should have lost, partly because Blake's revenge game. But, like, they'll do that. And then... Um, like the Grizzlies will probably – like the Grizzlies beat the Spurs, right? Like just out of nowhere. If they just corrected their win profile and just beat the teams that were worse than them, if the Pistons, the Grizzlies, and the Wizards beat the teams that had less talent and weren't as good as them, all three of those teams would be solidly in the playoffs and their seasons would be way, way better. They'd be above 500 and they would be just like, oh, they are just they would be in that group where, where the uh, – where the, for me, where the Blazers, the Spurs, the Clippers, and the Mavericks are. Those teams should be in that tier. They should be in there with the Blazers, the Spurs, the Clippers, and the Mavericks are. You know what? They're fine playoff teams. They're not going to go anywhere, but you know they're they're going to hang. Like they're just going to be in there and they're going to hang. They could be pesky, but instead they just they their their issues with consistency prevent them from getting to where they should go.
1: This is wild. I, this is why it's good to look at schedule stuff every once in a while. Washington's last five games are significantly more impressive than I was giving them credit for. Granted, some of those were weird, fluky ones for a bunch of different reasons with guys being out and everything like that. Lost to Toronto in that crazy double overtime game. Beat Milwaukee. Beat the Sixers, both of those <laughs> games in DC, lost to the Sixers in that back, the front end of that back to back when they got annihilated, and then they won that insane game in Oklahoma City where they like, which is one of the worst losses of the season for anybody. So, like, but. I watched a fair portion. I watched a lot of that OKC win. I watched a portion of, of the Milwaukee win, and I still don't think the Wizards are good. It's crazy. Well,
0: well you, we're making this point. I, I am – just check the score that is currently going on. Yeah, they're losing those. to
1: the Knicks in London. <laughs> they're,
0: losing the, they're, they're losing to the Knicks in London by 10 at half, and it was bigger earlier in the game. Like
1: I, I don't <laughs> – I that's don't the, know. That's
0: the Wizards. That's I the guess. Wizards.
1: You know, and like they're gonna play a national TV game at home against the Warriors on Thursday. Maybe they maybe they win that game by ten. Maybe they lose it by fifty. Like I genuinely don't know.
0: Yep.
1: Ugh, they're so frustrating. Okay, we can so we can get to my last groups. So I actually drew a distinction that you didn't, and and I'm assuming that I'm a rarity for doing so. So I did a better than dregs category where it's it's kind of on team quality. It's kind of on record. Like, the Wizards are in this, not because I think they're so much better than those teams, even though they did win those three games out of their last five, because they can lose to anybody. The Magic, and then the team that might be surprising is the Atlanta Hawks. Like, I think the Hawks are a little bit better than the four worst teams in the league. Mm. And the reason why is because they've shown a little bit more life after John Collins came back. And I
0: think I got to tell you, you know who I think actually I'm going to quibble with you over. I think you're too low on the magic.
1: Yeah. I mean, there are nights when they've, when they've looked pretty good and they put it together. Well, I mean, look, let's look at that.
0: Let's look at some numbers here. Okay. For, for Orlando, they're currently tied for 10th in the Eastern conference. They're 19 to 25. So not good. Certainly they are one game back of the Pistons, uh, in the loss column. Um, they're four and four in division, which that division is not good. So there's definitely some problems there. And they are 13 and 11 versus the Eastern Conference. Compare that with the Pistons, who are 13 and 16 versus the Eastern Conference. So the Magic are losing to worse teams a lot less consistently. Like that's been a thing with them. Um, if we look at. Some of the other key numbers that I like wanna hone in on and when we're looking at uh their like win performance. Uh so the magic are a respectable eight and nine versus teams under five hundred. That's not good enough, certainly. Uh the pistons are twelve and six. They've been more consistent in that category. But the magic are eleven and sixteen versus teams above five hundred. They are kind of in that mix with the Pistons, um, the, and I should probably move them actually down in that group of the Pistons, the Grizzlies and the Wizards, and that they could beat good teams. And we saw that. Like they beat the Lakers uh, twice. And I believe both of those were with LeBron. Like that's, I mean, they, the,
1: be, they beat Boston and they beat uh-huh. Houston in the last yeah. week. They beat them yeah. over the weekend.
0: Yeah. So like their ceiling. This is my thing with, with Orlando. Their ceiling is way higher. They just, when they're bad, they're so bad. And they, they lose games where it's like, God, if you just won that one, you'd be like, in such better th- shape. That
1: game when they got trucked by the Kings was a great example of that. I mean, it was on the tail end of a back to back, but they just got, they just got ruined. And I was so, just, if, I was so pissed at them. And so you mentioned the Hawks.
0: So, my, here's my thing with the Hawks. um you're right that they're better than probably this tier that I have them in, which is the bottom. Like, my bottom tier is Cavs, Knicks, Bulls, Suns, Hawks, okay? Yeah, just like, I mean,
1: those teams have the five worst records by a mile and a half. Yeah,
0: they are, like, just the dregs. Uh, the Hawks are the top of it, and the reason they're not higher, though, is – They don't have – we talked about this with the Pistons, the Grizzlies, and the Wizards, them having game-by-game consistency. The Hawks don't have quarter-by-quarter consistently. Like they put up 45 in the second and fourth on OKC, right? They're capable of that. But then they'll have games where like they have 12 in a quarter. There's no consistency on either side of the floor quarter-by-quarter. You know certain things that you're getting from the Pistons, the Grizzlies, and the Wizards game-by-game. You just don't know that they're going to get enough on the other side to be able to compensate. The Hawks, it's just like, I don't know what I'm getting. I'm just rolling the dice every single time. I'm just – I'm seriously – it's like boggle. Every single time I pop the button, I'm getting a different result. And that's better than the Suns, the Bulls, the Knicks, and the Calves because I know pretty much what I'm getting with those teams. The Knicks are probably a th- probably a little bit closer to the Hawks than the rest of them. But like, that's that's kind of how I differentiate the, those teams.
1: Yeah, that's fair. I mean, so part of the reason I had the Hawks above is also – I mean, I talked about the John Collins thing. And, and I'm not as big a believer in Collins as, as – some appear to be the big issue. There is defense, but John Collins does something very important for the Hawks, which is he is so much better than the other guys they played at power forward. And even though I see John Collins eventually is five and all that kind of stuff, they were playing all these guys that like aren't NBA players. And by getting John Collins in, you slide those other guys into more manageable roles. They've had some. I like. I liked what Daniel Hamilton showed in that Thunder game. They have a lot of guys that I that I kind of like. And remember, they've been doing some of this without Ken Baysmore, who would really help their four just because he competes and he's a capable player and all that kind of stuff. So you could also make an argument, part of why I think it's totally fair to have the Hawks in that group, is that it's kind of a distinction without a difference. Like, yeah, they are the best of that group, but they're still not you know, like maybe they're slightly better than that group, but does that difference matter? Not really. I don't think it matters in terms of the way they approach it. The other reason to put the Hawks, so I had them in the group above, and I'm be ready to move them below, is that they can dump some of the guys that are helping them, even if they're not the key pieces, like losing Deadman, losing Lynn, maybe trading Bazemore. those will make them materially worse. Like I thought they really were missing Jeremy Lynn in the win over the thunder. They won anyway. But you know, the that that quarter by cons- quarter inconsistency is going to get even more extreme if they lose some of those vets
0: yeah i agree with that i think that the, 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 like losing yeah I, I i'm with you on that yeah yeah that makes sense
1: yeah i don't think we need to spend a lot of time on the dregs here here's no. one one question we can do with that which of these teams has so so we i think we'd all argue we'd all agree that the suns have the best young core of those group as of now you know not counting the guys they could get in the draft because i mean booker and ayton are both fascinating talented and better than that but like so let's say of the bulls Knicks, and Cavs based solely on the talent they have on their roster right now who would you most want to be and who would you least want to be let's say as a fan or as a general manager Oof.
0: um well let's say okay if i'm gonna say the bulls um because that means that gar packs is no longer running things if i'm running things that's right? a fair point like that's like that's, that's where I'm at. Um, the Knicks look, uh, I, d- they're never going to be good as long as Dolan's the owner. That's just my belief is they will never be good as long as Dolan's the owner. I'm also not the biggest Chris Depp's Porzingis guy. I don't think he's necessarily what he's been billed as. I think he's a really good player. Obviously has a lot of potential. We'll see what he looks like after the injury. I'm just not like, Oh my God, you can build a championship team around Chris Depp's Porzingis. Like, no, I don't think that that's, I don't think that's true at all. Um, the Cavs are so bereft of talent, and like I've argued about this with Cavs Twitter so much. I just wish they traded Kevin Love. I just so badly wish that they traded Kevin Love. Um, this is the thing I'm, I'm gonna be running on this for action for next week about with regards to Memphis. If you're in that spot where it's like, up, oh, the run's over, the show's over, it's time to send everybody home. The thing that you need to do is you can't just be like, we're gonna trade our best player for assets. That no longer works. But what you can do is you can trade your best player who is, has a reasonable end to his contract or still has good value in exchange for dead money that you're not going to use anyway and assets. If you tell a team, I'll give you my best player, but you're going to have to send me future assets. Then they're like, no, we need those assets. I don't need the contract. But if you say, We'll take your bad contracts and give you our best player for your future assets. Then teams are going to be a lot more receptive to it. Then teams are like, wait, I can get off of this deal and I get an upgrade. Okay. All right. That's a, that's a trade off because then I can win. I can figure out the draft picks later, but you're baking that things won't work out because things often don't work out. And then you go that direction. Like this is the thing that the Grizzlies should be doing with Marcus Gasol is they should be going to teams that have. High hopes for free agency that have like a good team that want to make a splash or upgrade, like, uh, that are like, we want to keep Kemba, let's go get Marcus Saul. Those kind of teams and say, I'll take Batoon. I'll take Michael kidd Gilchrist. I'll take, you know, go to Orlando and be like, I'll take Bismack Biombo. Like, go to all these teams with mass go to the Wizards. Go to the Wizards and say, I will take on Jan Mahimi and give you Marc Gasol. But you have to give me your future assets. Not this year, not next year, but after that. That's what I want. I want your young guys and that. I want Oubre and that. Or Sadoranski or whoever. I want those guys and that. And that's like the, the path that you should have taken. So the Cavs have done that. I would feel better about them. But now it's just like, oh, you have Colin Sexton and maybe you'll have a, you know, Colin Sexton who's not great and maybe you'll be happy enough to land Zion and waste his, you know, young, young career. Great. So the Bulls, on the other hand, I'm like, okay, look, you're tethered to Levine and that's not great. But Parker's contract expires this year. You do have Marken I like some of their other young dudes. I think Portis is a rotation player. I've got some swappable pieces. I have some flexibility. I think there's some, some potential there. They have some guys that I think could be good if coached correctly. I will take the bulls of those options.
1: I'll take the Knicks because I, I like I think I like Porzingis a little bit more than you. I'll, I'll quibble a little bit with the Dolan thing. Here's what I'll say: they they will not be great with Dolan as their owner, but I think they could be good because you know if they just get a, a decent signing, you know, hell, maybe Kemba wants to play there. I mean, they could they could be good then. I don't think they'd be a title contender, but they could be the depending on how it all went. They could be the like you know they could be a good a good East playoff team. Like I think that's absolutely absolutely potential there, but I don't see them being great. I mean, teams that dysfunctional very rarely get there. So. We'll see what happens in a few other situations, but I agree with you totally on Gasol and Kevin Love. And I think what a lot of those teams don't do is they're not honest enough about if, if this season doesn't go exactly how we hoped, how happy would we be? Because, sure, I mean, the Cavs could have sold themselves. Uh, I, I did a podcast with Joe Varden kind of talking about, you know, like the idea that, oh, they were so bad defensively last year, but they weren't, they didn't play with urgency and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, they surprise, surprise, they end up still sucking on defense. They're, so the best case scenario didn't happen. And I think with both Memphis and Cleveland, they didn't think enough about that and saying like, okay, well, if, if, if basically everything outside of the like the best 10% is dispiriting and and that well then maybe we should move on because the chances of getting into that 10% is about 10%. Yeah.
0: Yeah. About about 10% sounds about right. And like you got to have I think manage you got to manage your hopes when you're in that kind of situation.
1: Right. Unless there's something else you want to discuss, I will thank you so much for taking the time.
0: Hey, thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. I love this pod. Let's let's do it again by the end of the season.
1: Thanks again to Matt Moore. You can read his work at the Action Network and you can follow him on Twitter. Most of you probably already do, at H P basketball. H P B A S K E T B A L L. I know how to spell. And Really love having him on. I'm guessing we'll do this at least one more time during the regular season to just kind of get a get a sense of how we're feeling about these teams. And while by then we'll probably have a good sense of the playoff race. For those of you who who get this, we're not necessarily talking about where they're going to finish in terms of record. It's team quality, everything like that. So that's really what we're getting at in terms of tiers. So I heartily enjoy the experience. You know, blocking it all out. We planned this a couple of days ago, just really thinking about where how i feel about every team and where they're going where they are right now is an experience that i i really do enjoy and if you have any feedback on the show, this this episode or any episode, good, bad, or indifferent, Danny LaRue, NBA at gmail.com is the way to do it. If it pops in separately, I, if you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. I'm not always great about responding. And I mean, that's a big part of why the show is actually, it's more lightly edited now because people said it didn't make as much of a difference. It makes a big difference in terms of my time. If you disagree with that stance, let me know as well. Of course, that's what I'm doing is, you know, canvassing listeners, let's say. If you want to support the show, there are a lot of great ways you can do it. You can subscribe. You can download every episode. Those are big things to do for a show like this that comes out on different times on the week. You can spread the word however you see fit. Social media, just telling people, hey, this episode, this podcast is great and we're still building and word of mouth is exceedingly important, even though the show's been around for a while. Also, you can listen to past episodes. A lot of it ages really well. Incidentally, the Tears podcast would be interesting from a time capsule perspective, but you can go back. I mean, as far back as you know, the first couple episodes, I think you'll you find some things if you wanted. Nate's first podcast appearances on there. I want to say that was in the 30s. You can go back and you should be able to have access to the full archives, let's call it. You can also leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player of your choosing. It's great if it's Apple Podcasts. If you want to be amazing, if those two things are not the same thing, you can leave a review in both your podcast player and Apple Podcasts. They're just so big in the business. And again, that's about helping people find the show. So the more more positive things we have, especially if they're recent, the higher we go in the rankings and the more people can find the show. The most important thing with this podcast and any other podcast though, is our sponsors. New sponsor, Peter Millar, Great, great clothing. I've been super impressed with it. P-E-T-E-R-M-I-L-L-A-R dot com slash RealGM. Free shipping, free hat. Check it out. BetOnline.ag. Been a sponsor for a while. Great sponsor. And the big game promotion that they're doing, Use creating an account and using that big game promo code. It's a pretty awesome offer. It's something that I've never experienced before, so that's pretty exciting. That people are going to get that opportunity. And then of course, our friends at True Car, great place to buy new and used car. And as you heard in the ad, great place to sell or trade in your car. We'll be back next week. I do not have a battle plan yet for what that episode will entail. Still trying to piece that together, but of course there will be one that is real jam radio all of the time. So I'm looking forward to it already. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.